to open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 3. By the way, I love that video, Larry, Dan, whoever, Joel, whoever put that together, spot on. By the way, that's Reggie's sister. Isn't she better looking than Reggie? Yeah, I mean, all over the place, okay? Yeah. But really, that's what Fielder is, and uh, praise the Lord for that. Uh, in the midst of diversity, uh, every once in a while, Jason wants an old guy to preach. So that's why I'm here, all right? You wonder who Gary Smith is. I worked here a little while, and I'm glad to be a part of the teaching team at Fielder and a part of what God's doing in this place. Now, this morning, out of the book of Exodus, I'm going to be dealing with a subject that I think most everyone in this room is familiar with, and that's the subject of excuse-making, all right? We're pretty good and knowing how to make excuses for why we don't do what we ought to do, or we're not what we ought to be, or go where we ought to go. I, I know for me, I'm pretty good at it. I've been especially good over these last 20 years, over this 10 pounds that I've been trying to lose for 20 years, okay? And uh, I, I decided to keep the Pillsbury Doughboy look, okay, And uh, for me. And uh, I, I did have something that helped me the other day. I read one of those charts about, you know, what weight you should be for what height you should be, and I realized I'm an ideal weight for someone two inches taller than me, okay? And uh, so I've decided I got a better chance of getting taller than I do losing the weight, okay? And, but excuse-making, we're pretty good at it. Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a guy that might have been the king of excuse-making. And the reason why is, is you may be just like me. I carry my excuse-making all throughout my life, and I do it very often about physical or financial things, but I also do it in spiritual things. That when God speaks, very often I'm a guy who can tell God why not and why I shouldn't or what sacrifice he's asked me to make. I'm, I have good reason why it shouldn't happen. Well, this guy Moses was the king of that. He was a guy who understood it very cl clearly. Now, just a, a little commercial in the middle of this introduction. We'll discover in this text that he got very, very close to God saying, that's enough. And I, I thought about it as I read that in the fourth chapter we we're going to look at in just a minute, that God was very, very close to taking Moses to the woodshed. And now, I don't know about you, but uh, that's the place I don't want to be. We might ought to sometime put a little disclaimer or warning on the front of our Bible that says reading this and obeying it could be dangerous if you don't obey it, all right? And that's what we're going to see with Moses is he was a guy that, that constantly made excuses. And what I'm going to do with this today, there's a lot of ways you can approach this text. I, I, it was very tempting to say, okay, if you want to obey God, I'm going to give you one, two, three, and you do these things and you're going to do better than Moses did. I, I don't think that'd do justice to this text because to be honest, I think we're more like Moses than we want to admit. And what I see that God dealt with very sternly, very clearly with Moses is he tried to build in Moses something that was lasting. He wanted Moses to know some spiritual principles that he could build into his life that it would apply not only right then, what was going on in that moment, but would carry him the next 40 years as he sought to obey God. And so what I'm going to do today is give you three biblical principles out of his life that I hope you will mix into your decision-making process. Because if these three things are mixed into your decision-making process, you or I might find ourselves 
more closely obeying God than we are right now. We're going to begin in Exodus chapter number 3, and uh, chapter number 3, verse number 13. Uh, You remember the background of this. Moses was a guy that uh, was miraculously preserved when Pharaoh was killing all the babies, and he actually grew up in the palace. Very wealthy, had the best teaching there would ever be, saw the world as no other Hebrew ever saw the world, and then he decided to turn his back on it because he realized he was a Hebrew. And so he went back to his people. He rejected Egypt, but then he got in the middle of his people, and he got rejected by his people. What does he do? He leaves town. He doesn't just leave town and go to Waxahachie, okay? He goes to the backside of the mountain far, far away because he wanted to get away from his failures and the things that he had done in disobedience to God. He ends up as a sheep herder, of all things, working for his father-in-law. And it's in the middle of that, as Jason shared with us, God comes to him in the image of a burning bush and says, I want you to go back. I want you to go back and not only go back, I want you to confront Pharaoh And I want you to lead the people of Israel out of slavery, the the hundreds of thousands of them. I want you to lead them. He said, are you kidding me? You want me to do that? And so we find this interplay between Moses and God, and it begins and carries on verse 13. Moses said to God, well, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? What in the world shall I say to them? What God said to Moses, it may be the central verse in in the entire book of Exodus. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent you, sent me to you. God said to Moses, say, this is the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus, I'm to be remembered throughout all the generations. Go to the elders of Israel together with him, the people that are running out of town. Say, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me and has said, I have observed you. Remember when Jason preached that great message? I see what is going on. I observe what is happening to you. I understand what is going on with you and what is happening. And he said, I want you to know, uh, say to these people, I want you to know, I understand what is happening. I've observed. And then verse 17, And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of all the ites, the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. I'm going to take you out of this desert existence, and I'm going to move you to the most fertile piece of property in the entire world. I'm going to take you to a place flowing with milk and honey. What's the very first principle that I see? Is whenever God speaks to us, and calls us to do something, we need to remember who is speaking to us. We need to remember who is speaking to us. Now, listen, uh, uh, Moses knew all about religion. The Egyptians were the king of religions. They had all kinds of images. The great god Ra, even Pharaoh himself, was considered a god. And if there was anybody steeped in religious knowledge, it would have been this guy Moses. He grew up right next to every bit of that. Certainly growing up in that household, they would have made sure he knew about every bit of those religious systems. And guess what? Moses knew it didn't make any difference. Moses knew that if he went back and and played the Egyptian card of who he was and how he had grown up, it would get him nowhere. But let's go a little further with that. The same is true if he went back and spoke about the God of Israel. Because I'm convinced that he didn't know much about that. 
I believe if you had given him a spiritual test, you would have found out that Moses was pretty low spiritually. He was a guy who didn't understand what was going on in the Israelite people. And he looked at them and said, wait a minute here. The pagan gods, they have wealth and riches and palaces, and the people of supposedly I am, they're living in slavery. Why in the world would I want either one of those? Tell, tell me who's speaking. Well, God does something right here that he had never done before. He does something with this word that is translated Yahweh. He said, tell them Yahweh, the Yahweh has sent you. He repeated it. Never before in the scriptures. He'd always just been known as the Yahweh God. And by the way, that's a pretty incredible. That word Yahweh means to be. It means the preexistent one. He would say, listen, when you think of Yahweh, when you stand on the hillside at night and you have all those stars strung into space, please know that Yahweh put all those stars up there. But why in the world, as you look at this, why in the world did he repeat this? Why in the world did he say, it is I am that I am? Commentators, by the way, books have been written in by the volumes of why he did this. Let me tell you just two things I think about it. First of all, I will think he was trying to say, I am the God of gods. He repeated it. I am the Lord of lords. I am the king of kings. When you think of all these pharaohs and all these statues, you can see they've never made a difference in anyone's life. The culture can never make a difference in anyone's life. No matter what the culture may create, it will never make a difference. But there is the king of kings, and there's the Lord of lords, and there's the creator of the creation. and He's the one who's speaking to you. But guess what I also think he was trying to say? I think he was trying to get personal with Moses. I don't know about you. It's one thing to study religion in a seminary classroom. It's quite different to have a personal relationship with this God. I think he was trying to say to Moses, now, Moses, listen, you're not going to go back by yourself. You're not going to confront this future by yourself. You're not going to go where I've called you to go and be on your own. I want you to know, Moses, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to walk with you through this journey. Now, what does that mean to you and me? That means today when... God speaks to us about what he wants us to do. It's not some statue God. It's not some Baptist God. It's not some American God. It is the God who strung the stars in space. It is the God who created this universe. And we can have the awesome privilege of that God speaking to us. And guess what? Every place he wants to take us is better than the place we have been. Every place he wants to take us is something that will be mighty and incredible. He's not trying to harm us or hurt us. He's trying to do something in our lives that only God can do. And he took this misfit, messed up guy named Moses. And he said, I want to show the world how great a God I am. And so when you hear from God, you need to recognize you're just not hearing about somebody that Jason talks about on somebody, Sunday morning. You're talking about the God of the universe. I, one of my favorite sections of Scripture about God is found in the book of Psalms. Listen to this, Psalm 37. It says, The steps of a man or a woman are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Another way, when God delights where we're going, he establishes our steps. Look at this. Though he fall." He shall never be cast headlong. For what does the Lord do as we follow him? Even with our failure, he upholds his hand. 
David said, I've been young, and now I am older, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good so that you will dwell forever, for the Lord loves justice. Look at this promise. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked, they shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Guess who's making that promise? The creator God of the universe. And so this morning, when God's been speaking to you about some places he wants to take you, in your marriage, in your family, in your finances, in your moral choices, maybe even one of these short-term mission trips, maybe to go live in a city with one of our church planters, what is he doing? This is the God who controls it all. He's inviting you to join with him in what he wants to do in the future. So first principle, whenever you hear from God, <laughs> let's always remember who's speaking. But then there's a second principle. In fact, I would be so remiss if I did not answer this, put this one in. It's found in just the next few verses of this text. If you would pick right up after that verse, number 18. And listen, they will listen to your voice, verse 18. And you, uh, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Now please let us go for three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Let us loose. Look at verse 19. Very important verse in doing God's will. For I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand, I'll strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it, and after he will let you go, I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of his neighbor, any woman of her house, for silver and gold jewelry for clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Do you realize what's being said here? I want to give you something far beyond what you could ever imagine. But listen to this, principle number two. Doing the will of God, now listen to this, will never be easy. The king, he's going to oppose you. Pharaoh is going to stand against you. And I want you to know, as you and I began to look at our lives, we don't have a king called Pharaoh. Now, sometimes we may think the political system is against us, but really, in reality, that's not our enemy. Our enemy is one called the devil, Satan himself. Let me tell you what the Bible says about him. It says he's a deceiver. So what he wants to do is plant lies within your mind and my mind. It also says he comes to devour. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking devour. Guess what? If you want your family to walk with God, you have a devourer who will try and stop you. If you have a life that you want to be like Jesus... I want you to know there's someone who doesn't want you to be like Jesus. If you want to go where God wants you to go, there's someone standing on the other side of the door trying to keep you out of that. In fact, in John, it says he comes to kill and to steal and destroy. And any time you or I think that following the will of God is going to be easy, we have misread the word of God. And those who might say to you, oh, you follow God and everything will go the way that you want it. You'll have everything that you want. No, that's not true. It's kind of like losing weight. It calls you to some sacrifice, to some choices that are not easy. I mean, 
bluebell ice cream becomes a cuss word, okay? <laughs> but guess what? Many of us think today that if we choose to follow God, that we're going to get a lot of encouragement out of the culture to help us. That's a bunch of baloney. We have a culture that's controlled by the evil one. And that evil one wants to destroy our lives in this creation and is working in every way it can. If you get your information from the media, you're in a dark, dark place. Do you think any of those news commentaries want you to be a better Christian? <laughs> if you think that, I've got some swampland over in Arkansas I want to sell you, okay? The media of the world is against the kingdom of God. And everything we see with our eyes that's out there is going to be in opposition and is going to stand in opposition against the things of God and is always going to be fighting to capture our soul, capture our hearts, destroy us. But look where it leads. It leads to being killed, stolen, and destroyed. And if we choose to go that direction, we're heading down a pathway, a pathway of destruction. And what God said to Moses, Moses, listen, when you get back, there's going to be a Pharaoh. But I want you to know you decide to walk with me. I will stretch out my hand against him. You'll not only see my power, they're going to pay you to leave town. <laughs> they're going to give you all the gold and the stuff that is there. And so I, I would be remiss today to not say to you, if you choose this pathway, guess what? You're going to be in a battle for your life, your soul, and your family in the days ahead. You say, well, okay, Gary, why do that? <laughs> well, why not just take the easy path? Why not just fit into where everybody else is going? Why not just be like Beaver? Why not do something that's politically correct and fits into this culture and where it's going? Because who wants to be in that kind of battle? Well, third principle is found in the fourth chapter. Let's read that. Could we please read along with me? Then Moses answered, but behold, another excuse. They won't believe me. They won't listen to my God. For they will say, well, no, the Lord didn't appear to you. And the Lord said, well, uh, what is in your hand? And he had a staff. He said, well, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. It became a serpent. What did Moses do? Smart guy, right here. He ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put your hand and grab it by the tail. He grabbed it by his hand and became a staff. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared. I did this for that reason. Again, he said to him, put your hand inside your cloak put his hand inside his cloak. When he took it out, it was leprous like snow. By the way, a, a, a man that was in our first service, a Jewish rabbi who knows Jesus, came up and talked to me after the service. He said, do you realize leprosy was the worst disease a man could ever know? And so he gave him leprosy. What did he do? It was like snow. Now put your hand back inside the cloak. So he put his hand back inside the cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of the flesh. And he said, if they don't believe that, God said, or listen to the first sign, or believe the latter sign. If they won't even believe these two signs, listen to the, your voice. You will take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile shall become blood right there. But Moses, you know, he's not finished yet. <laughs> he said, Lord, I'm just like Gary Smith. I'm not very eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. And I want you to know I'm slow of speech and of tongue. 
And the Lord said to him, Woo, who's made man's mouth? What makes a person mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, Lord, now? Therefore go, I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, Lord, how about somebody else? <laughs> Verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I think Moses might have shook right then. I think he might have said, can I grab that snake again? All right. He said, is there not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's coming out to meet you. But when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You will speak to him, put words in his mouth. I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. I will teach both of you what to do. He shall speak to you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and shall be your God with him. And take in your hand this staff, which you shall do these mighty signs. Principle number three, listen to this. If we are willing to do what God would call us to do, God's going to give us the incredible privilege of seeing him and watching him do his miraculous works. Let me say that one more time. When we decide to get in the battle, when we're willing to move out of our comfortable place and say, Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be what you want me to be. Send me wherever you would want. And we get in that battle. Guess who is with us? The God of creation. But guess what's more than that? This God will use that circumstance, listen to this carefully, to reveal himself to us and let us see his miraculous hand. You see, God isn't as much as interested in the task as he is the person. And what God wanted to do with Moses is, Moses, listen, throughout your life, I want to show you me so that when you stand and the countenance of your face is such, they will know you've been somewhere other than an Egyptian God. You've been with the Creator God. And your face and your countenance and your heart will show the presence of God. Because why? You'll see God like you have never seen him before. I know as I looked at this text, I saw these miracles and I saw all this that God was doing. I ask an interesting question that you may want to ask. What if Moses had continued to say no? Now think about that for a minute. God never forces us to do his will. And certainly when we don't, we will suffer some discipline from the Lord at times, very often. And that discipline is God trying to get us back. But Moses could have stopped and said, eh, my brother Aaron can do it. I'm staying over here. Don't mess with me. Now think about it for a minute. What would Moses have missed in his lifetime by not obeying God? He would have never seeing the Nile turn to blood, frogs and gnats everywhere. He, he would have never seen the first Passover and known what it was for the death angel to come by and because blood's on the doorpost. The firstborn son of that family lives. But hearing the wailing that was going on all over Egypt because of the firstborn die, he would have never experienced seeing the judgment of God like that. He would have never experienced what it was like to leave town as a slave with a sack full of gold and silver. He would have never seen the Red Sea part. Never seen it come back and engulf the Egyptian army. Most powerful army in the world. Would have never seen water coming out of a rock. Never seen manna and quail falling from the sky. Would have never gone up the mountain. 
and watch God write with his hand the Ten Commandments and speak to Moses face to face, man to man. If he had said no. Guess what? I think the same is true for you and me. God has so much more for our future than we could ever make for ourselves. God has a plan for us that no man could ever write, no man could ever make up, no one could ever dream of. He's got a direction and a purpose and a power. And guess what he wants to do? Listen to this. He wants to show us his miraculous power. You say, you know, I'd love to see a miracle. Would you start walking with God? You will be shocked at how this creator God moves heaven and earth to show you himself, but also to show you his power. And so Moses would say to you and me, ah, I'm so glad I didn't miss what God would have me to do. I'm so glad I was willing at that moment. And that next verse, the very next verse, and Moses went back to Jethro, verse 18. He went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said, here's my resignation. Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt and see if they are still alive. And then he takes his entire family and he heads back. Now, by the way, Moses didn't know where that was taking him. God didn't show him the end from the beginning. God just said, you take the first step. You make the choice. You follow me. And I'm going to show you something the rest of the world (laughs) has absolutely never seen. I'm going to show you the God who put it all in place. And I'm going to show you his power (laughs) like you could never imagine. Let me maybe picture it with this closing story, if I could. Uh, you may not know Sandy's mother, Catherine Jackson, great patriarch, a matriarch of our family over these years, passed away April 22nd this past year. Great lady, and we got to honor her with a great service of, of her life and contribution. A lot of you may not know is that her older sister had passed away just six months earlier, last October. And they had planned a service in our hometown of Hot Springs to bury the ashes. And her mom and dad, her sister and her husband, Jim, they're buried next to each other there in Hot Springs with their remains. So we went back this past week for the service. And uh, we, we had the joy. We got to take one of our grandkids with us, our grandson, John Oliver got to go with us. We got to keep him six-year-old for two for a week. We're going to take a month off, okay? <laughs> and uh, and uh, great, had a blast with him. Got to take him back to our town and go to Gulf of Gorge and Mid-America and all those kind of places. But we were in my neighborhood where I grew up. If you go to Hot Springs, there's a fountain in the middle of the Central Avenue, and you go Whittington one way. You can go up Park Avenue, and I was a Park Avenue kid, okay? Just like Sandy's dad. And so we're driving along, and I said, hey, Oliver, let me show you my house. So we turned the corner there on the street and moved up towards my house, went past the Methodist church and went up this little street. We came to Westbrook Street, Westbrook's a street about twice as long as this room, holds about 15 houses, three blocks long. And it was great to say, hey, Oliver, looky here. Here's where the Newkirks lived, and here's where the Bennetts lived, and here's where the Fallgrasses lived. They lived in this big house, and, and we were on a party line. None of y'all know anything about that. Used to, you, you couldn't get a line for your house, so you had a party line. And they, they were from Germany, and they would get on the line and speak German. And we would get on the line and make fun of them as kids. That was terrible doing that. But we just had a blast, you know, because I, I did a lot of things like that, all right? And so went down the street, Tommy Black's 
house and Ronnie Fuller's house and Randy Muse's house, et cetera, stopped in front of my house. And, and to be candid with you, if you pulled up to that house, you could buy it today probably for $15,000 and they'd think they got a lot of money for it, okay? And, and, and that's the steps where I used to stand as a little guy about eight or 10 years old and throw a ball up against the steps and catch it so I could play baseball. By the way, while I was doing that, across the street, there was a little girl with her dad because he was the accountant for the Newkirks. Her, her name was Sandy, and she was watching me do that and falling in love with me right there, okay? <laughs> hey, that's the one I want. So, no, no, she didn't do that at all, okay? But, but I was sitting there looking at that place, and while we were in the neighborhood, we went by Park Place Baptist Church, okay? Red brick building at Corner Park Avenue and Park Place. Looked at that place. Because you see, one August night, a preacher preached a message out of the same text Jason used last week about the burning bush. The title of his sermon was Any Old Bush Will Do. And the key was not the condition of the bush, but that God was in the bush. See, I was at a point in my life, I thought I had to get better for God to accept me. So I was working on this bush, and it, I wasn't getting very far. And I learned that night that my hope wasn't in what I could do. My hope was in what God could do. And I gladly, gladly gave my life to Christ. To say to Oliver, see that, see this. There's only one way that happens. The power of God. It isn't about the bush. It's about God in the bush. And that's the same for you today. God isn't going to call you to be pastor or fielder. He's already got a great one in name, Jason. He's not going to call you to deliver the Israelites. They're not in slavery, right? But he's got a plan for your life, a purpose for your life. He wants to take you places you never, never imagined. And it begins with your willingness to take the first step, pack everything up, leave Midian, and head back to God's plan for your life. I want you to know, Moses, if he were standing here with me, we'd put our arm around our shoulders, and we would say, why wait another day making excuses? Why not today? Why not now begin the journey God has for your life? To see what the Creator God can give to your life, even in the middle of the battle. But guess what? It's going to require something of you. It's going to require that first step away from where you've been where God wants you to go. That's why our church exists. So we believe in the gospel. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ that God takes mess-ups, people who have made mistakes, people who have no way to get to heaven on their own. And Jesus Christ went to that cross and died on that cross, and he became the ultimate Passover lamb whose blood cleanses us of all sin, and gives us the righteousness of God. And we're able to walk with God 
Not because we're better than somebody else, but because we have God living in our lives. Would you want to make that choice, not tomorrow, but today? Would you want to begin a life that may take you places you've never imagined, but places that'll have the hand of God and the power of God? And as you do that, you'll not only see the power of God, you'll experience the miraculous hand of God. So what we're going to do in just a moment is Reggie's going to lead our folks to sing. The pastors of this church will be right here. I'm going to be right here. If you want Jesus Christ in your life, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to get on my knees with you. And you do the same thing I did in that August night. Give your life to Christ. Pastors, you're going to come forward. We're going to sing. God's speaking to your heart today, and you're ready to quit making excuses and start walking with God. You need someone to pray with you. You come on. If you want to give your life to Christ, we, can, we want to baptize you today. Over 150 people have done that in the last three months. But you know what? God's waiting on you. So Reggie's going to lead us in singing. I'm going to be here at the front. You stand with me. We're going to sing together. God speaks to your heart. You come this morning, would you?